Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, Derek Riley will be here with the EV spots to talk about the business fleets that are going green. We'll hear about the growth of social commerce and have a guide as to what you need to be wary of when it comes to Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Christmas shopping. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Later in the show, we'll also hear about the new bilingual Irish animation show that uses real-time technology but we're going to start with this the ev spot on tech talk yeah there's plenty of news on the ev front this week and joining us once again to guide us all through is derek riley of nevo.ie um i'm delighted you're on this week because i noticed that a few businesses are trialing and testing the use of EVs as part of their fleet. I saw that Tesco Ireland is one of those companies. So in the Dunleary region, um, they will get their deliveries from all new electric vehicles. This is good news. Yeah, and by no means not they're not the first. Between the canals in Dublin, on Post is try, uh, using all electric vehicles. Um, and you also have the likes of DPD, Amazon. So a lot of these logistics companies are trialing and expanding their fleet. Number one, consumers want it. They want their packages delivered, their food, whatever it may be, the post uh, via uh, zero emissions from the tailpipe vehicle. But also there's that cost saving element to it as well. So hopefully it's a win win. These electric vehicles are more expensive up front, but these large organizations can absorb that. But also they're looking at that total cost of ownership. We have spoken, obviously, numerous times and you've reviewed a whole host of EVs, you know, family cars and cars just for spinning around the city and so on. Who or is is any one brand in particular leading the way in terms of um, commercial EVs? No, there's the traditionals, there's the Mercedes, there's the Fords, there's the Volkswagens with their new ID Buzz, but there are new brands coming into the market as well. The likes of Maxxis, which is uh, a traditionally an ICE uh, internal combustion engine manufacturer, but are bringing in ground up electric vehicles and it's only the start of it. So at the moment in Ireland, there's about 15 electric vans that you can get, everything from the smaller van like the Citroen Berlingo or the Peugeot E-Partner uh, or the Opel Combo, all the way up to the midsize vans like that ID Buzz, which won Irish fan of the year. Uh, it's going to be hitting the roads next year. So there's about 700 of them coming on the first shipment. So you're just going to start to see these around. Now that's an iconic looking van. And then all the way up to the likes of the Mercedes E Sprinter and the E Transit, which are those really big, large vans. Um, so all brands that would have traditionally done um, combustion engine vehicles are now transitioning over and offering that electric van if the consumer wants it. Um, the reason I honed in on the on the Tesco example is because I guess that makes sense if, you know, they're making runs from a Dunleary Tesco or whatever way it works to homes in a certain vicinity. That makes pure sense, doesn't it, from an EV point of view that you're just going to be doing those sort of short enough journeys and then you'll have a base where you can go and charge up and power up. Exactly. So this definitely the first stage of that electrification of the commercial vehicle side of us. So uh, a tradesperson down in Belmullet in County Mayo who would not know their route on day to day because they'd be doing different jobs. So they might be a plumber or a painter and there isn't a defined route, whereas Tesco and Dunleary, like you're talking about, know the routes because they're probably already doing an element of telematics, which is tracking the vans, knowing where they are, knowing where they're going to. It's a predefined route, the same with on Post or Amazon or 
or DPD. So it's very easy for them to say, okay, these batches of vans can make that transition today. Uh, and these other ones, they need a slightly bigger battery. The technology may not be there, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole process. And on what we find at Nevo.e, we have businesses coming to us going, we want to make that transition. And so we have to sit down with them and then analyze their current fleet, recommend certain vehicles for certain people. And it's not just vans. It could be a company that has a number of company cars on the road as well. So that telematic, but then it's down to that driver education as well, because you drive an electric vehicle slightly different to a traditional combustion engine vehicle to get the maximum out of the range. Okay, so you mentioned there that you guys in Evo.ie talk through what people need to consider and you said there to a certain extent, but in terms of budgeting, because these are going to be more expensive, so the outlay is more expensive, but I'm sure then there's the consideration for charger points in the HQ car park or whatever it else might be. Like There's a few different elements to it. You're not just buying a vehicle and off you go. Correct, yeah. So there's that whole element of consideration. It's tracking what the current fleet is doing. Can we transition certain vehicles over to electric? Educating the drivers because you might have got your driving license 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago and you haven't had any formal education since. Then understanding how are we going to charge these vehicles? Are we going to do it at the office or the depot? Are we going to be able to do it out on the road? Are we going to do, allow people to bring the vehicle home with them and charge it at home? And we have to figure out that remuneration because it's going to be plugged into the person's house using the person's home electricity tariff. But there are solutions out there to make this transition very easy. So you can do it as part of your fleet. You can transition your whole fleet. But so people are sitting back on, oh, I don't want to be the first one that, that is doing this. But businesses are great at taking the total cost of the vehicle, figuring out the running costs, figuring out the maintenance costs. And with electric vehicles, the servicing of vehicles is much cheaper. But yes, the initial outlay of the vehicle itself or installing the initial charge points in the office or the depot or at the uh, employee's house. So, yeah, there's a whole ecosystem that you have to think about. But consumers want it, as I say. Uh, residents in towns and cities want it as well for better air quality. But over the life of the vehicle, it works out much cheaper because of that rising fuel cost issue of petrol or diesel. I want to talk to you about the life cycle of the vehicle. And this is time for my weekly stupid question. Um, I, I just want to get a jingle made for that firstly. But secondly, um, is the lifespan of the battery of the vehicle going to be less if it's a commercial vehicle that's being used you know, I suppose rather than just dropping the kids to school and picking them up from school and doing the weekly shop, these vehicles will be doing a hell of a lot more. Uh, so is there any wear and tear that will come faster to the car battery as a result of that? No, well, no, I won't say no. You just, again, back to the how to charge so you're not fast charging it all the time, how you're actually driving the vehicle. But uh, all of these manufacturers have put these commercial vehicles through their paces. So as much as Jess might buy the brand new ID Buzz for a new news talk van tomorrow, Volkswagen have done testing in the Arctic Circle, in the Sahara, as an example, cold and hot conditions, and they put it on these rolling roads. So it's constantly driving for weeks on end so that the mileage builds up, whereas it may take just one, two, three, four years to get to 100,000 or 200,000 kilometers. VW Group or Mercedes, Benz or Ford or whoever it may be, they've, they have to stand behind these vehicles to make sure that the right components are going into it, that battery is going to last, and they guarantee up to a certain number of years 
kilometers or a certain number of kilometers the very same way as an engine so an engine only has a certain lifespan in a combustion engine vehicle so it's not a stupid question by any means and people are are like a bit worried about it but there is no need to be worried the warranties and the guarantees are there for the manufacturers and just make sure that you're getting that right advice with regards to that driver education and how to charge and when to charge we spoke before about, uh, I can't remember if it's something that exists or would exist. Uh, you know, the the cargo lorries, I suppose, that go from the UK to Ireland on the boat and they could potentially charge whilst on the boat. You know, having those little chargers that kind of float or are built into to the storage area. Is that something that exists at the moment? And how far away from reality are we that we could have a lot of these cargo yeah. things being done like electrically? Uh, so for, with those ferries that currently are crossing the Irish Sea and over to France, over to the UK, there are a couple of EV charging ports. What we're finding is the transition to the larger lorries isn't uptake isn't as fast just because of the weight involved. Now, I recently was at the IAA, International Transportation Show in Hanover in Germany, and just 90, 95% of the big, big lorries like you're talking about are going electric, be that Mercedes-Benz or DAF or MAN and all these uh, these lorry names that we may or may not be aware of. So yeah, they are going to electrify. On the ferries currently, there are a number of charging ports on certain ferries, mainly for cars because they're tightened against the wall or they may not be positioned. But down the line, you're going to have nearly every spot on these ferries or on these car parks or in these depots. So when the lorry is pulled into a logistics hub, we'll say uh, one of the large supermarkets might have a logistics hub down in Kildare because it's central enough on the country and the motorway network. As these lorries are being loaded, they're going to be charging up. As they go to the individual supermarkets, they're going to be charging up. So every time this lorry is stopped or van or bus, and again, Dublin bus, another example, they're looking at electrifying their fleet. There is a trial bus around the city at the moment. So if you see it, take a snap and tweak myself and Jess um, of these electric buses. But the fact that you don't have to go to a fueling station you don't have to go and get liquid fuel. The fact that electricity is pretty much everywhere, uh, putting the infrastructure in place, making sure, and then these logistics hubs or offices or supermarkets. So for example, that Tesco and Dunleary, as we keep referring back to, while that's been loaded up with people's weekly shopping, it's plugged in and it's charging. They may have solar panels on the roof. So it's using some of the sto- solar uh, energy that they're getting because supermarkets or wherever, whatever it may be, will be able to take a lot of solar in. So it's been really smart about how you use your energy how you charge them up etc in the supermarket example and let's just step away from a brand like any supermarket if they were to have or if there was to be ev chargers on site for the cargo who would do that would it be the supermarket or would it be like the brand of ice cream that's getting delivered or whatever because it saved the ice cream brand opts to go fully EV it's in their interest I suppose to have these chargers at the supermarkets when the load off is happening like are we going to get to a stage where it just makes sense for them to be everywhere and it'll be seen as an investment yeah it will be an investment don't get me wrong so supermarkets will be putting it in to their back office side of things so their logistics end so as deliveries are coming in or as deliveries are coming out they will say well you know what while that vehicle is sitting there we'll charge it up absolutely so whether it's uh, their own vehicle going out for deliveries or an incoming delivery from a supplier and that they've got an electric vehicle there'll be designated ev charging loading bays within the and this is what facility managers and fleet managers are thinking about right now there's actually a big conference on in the ccd in dublin this week for fleet managers more 
so on the company car side of things, uh, but fleets in general with vans, etc. So yeah, that's the way it's going to go. Are we going to see charges everywhere? I'd say we're going to start to see charges where people are going to. So the likes of hotels, the likes of supermarkets, the likes of sporting grounds, and the new government office, Zevi Zero Emission Vehicle Ireland, they're looking at, okay, how can we incentivize these hotels or sporting clubs or supermarkets to put in these charges? Because as you or me are driving around, we're starting to notice these electric vehicles like you spotted these news pieces. But as general public starts to see electric vehicles, that's going to increase the adoption rate as well, because they know if they go to that supermarket, you know what, when I'm in shopping, I'll be able to charge my car as well uh, or van or whatever it may be. So definitely we're going to start to see a lot more of vehicles charging out in the wild, slow charging and fast charging. Yeah, um, I suppose I, I've, I, I'm still waiting for attitudes to to shift in a more dramatic sense because every time I talk to you I come away going god this is not just the future it's the present and it's going to be great and then you still come back to the same sort of arguments all the time you know range anxiety where there's not enough ports or when you drive to a port it's not available for charge what needs to be done like do we just need to give everybody an EV and let them test it for a few weeks and then let them come back and you know what? It's not an EV isn't going to solve the problem that we're in. So we don't want every car and van to transition to an electric car or van. So we need cargo bikes. So people that are able to be a business and deliver via an, an e-bike, an e-cargo bike, that's going to be better for the environment and it won't take as much space on the road. And everybody's given about the traffic in the city, but they're part of the problem because they're sitting in a large vehicle with only one person in it. So it's mobility as a service. It's using cargo bikes. It's using centralized. So in some European cities, what they have is they've got a hub on the outside of the town and all the deliveries go into that hub so that the vans don't have to go around the town or the city and then they're brought in then via a little electric either a trike or a cargo bike or a small electric van so again smart thinking so there's a small bit of there is definitely joined up thinking required and that's just the vehicles themselves are delivering but we don't all need to transition so we could get a bike we could get buses we could walk more there's there is a, a lot more of that and it's great to hear that you're going away from these conversations uh, upbeat Jess but what we want to make sure is people People see the benefits, see the positivity, because if you talk to the wrong people, they'll be like, oh, like taxi drivers as an example. So very good government subsidies at the moment to help you transition to. But there are just some people out there that don't want to make it, are scared of making the journey, are fearful of what's going to happen next six months, next six years, and just don't want to make that jump. And that's fine. We've got that adoption curve. Jess, you're an early adopter when a new piece of technology comes out. You're sticking it in your ears or you're playing with on, on the plane to America, whatever it may be. You're you're happy to take the chance on it. But some people just aren't like that. And what we at Nevo and there's other organizations out there are willing to do is, listen, this is the use case. This is another company or this is another individual that has already taken the jump. We're not mm -hmm. trying to uh, convince you. We're going to let you talk to that person or talk to that organization because organizations that have made the jump are happy to talk to other organizations. And the same with the EV owner groups. We're all happy to share our experience. And it's not all roses. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. There are There is a charging infrastructure. We're going to need to bolster that. We're going to need government assistance. We're going to need uh, businesses to jump in and help out. And everybody working together absolutely we can make this happen but uh, we're not there yet and I suppose I'm going to be talking to you for another couple of um, sessions and years months down the line just where we're going to be seeing that transition happening but like this week the stories of these large supermarkets or delivery companies logistics companies are starting to grow that fleet or starting to try it okay let's see if it's going to work that's all we want that's all we ask give it a go 
there are probably 99 people who sit into an electric vehicle, be that an electric van or electric car, would never go back to a combustion engine vehicle. So the stats talk for themselves. Yeah, I actually, just to come to the defence of the taxi industry before they come for you, um, I actually was in a taxi a few weeks ago. A driver picked me up at Croke Park and he was in, what's the, is it the ID, the Volkswagen? Volkswagen, Volkswagen ID4. That's the one. And... I got in and I said, geez, I love this car and whatever. We were talking and talking and talking. And he said that he wasn't uh, completely allergic to the idea of uh, going to an EV. Then he started to do his research. Then he realized it made sense. And he said the biggest barrier to people moving to an EV is just the time. They don't necessarily understand that you have to put time into it in terms of the research, in terms of the planning, in terms of the mapping, in terms of knowing how to drive the car. Like there, you've spoken about this before of being smart about how you drive the car. You don't just get in and drive it like you drive a, a traditional car. And he was so passionate about it. He was saying that he's in all of these groups about trying to share his knowledge of EVs. And I think it's great when you find ambassadors like that who have done the legwork and are willing to share because I, like like everything else we'll be talking about it later on in the show as well word of mouth is really the best recommendation where whether it's you know buy, what tv do you buy or what car do you buy uh the, the personalized recommendation does make an impact huge the best form of advertising you can buy as many billboards or tv ads or radio ads as you want but if your friend says i've bought this and i think it's really really good you're going to pay attention to it. So that definitely, that, and I know that free now in Dublin and certain other cities, they're offering electric taxi as an option now, whereas eco option was originally the option on some uh, destinations or some locations where you, you could get an electric, you could get a hybrid, whereas now in the city centre, they're offering, if you want a full electric taxi, you can order that. And what the electric taxi drivers are saying is, you know what, people are making that choice. It's costing mm. the same, but consumers are saying, you know what, I want to travel to that meeting or to go to that out for drinks in an electric taxi. And so then we're starting to see the perception of, you know what, I'm doing my bit, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So as you said, the ambassadors, the word of mouth, it's it's hugely important. And I suppose we won't ever run out of content, Jess, when we're having these conversations, because as much as we're on the journey, we're definitely towards the, the start of the journey and that early adoption into mass market adoption curve. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, it's fascinating as always uh, to talk to you. Derek Riley of Nevo.ie. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Jess. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, in just a few minutes' time, we're going to hear about the impact of social commerce. But before we do, I want to just take a moment to talk through shopping around Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Christmas in general. There are going to be plenty of flashy offers coming your way, but there are some things to bear in mind. Firstly, do your research before you buy. Check if a website is legitimate. Use a service like Trustpilot. Ask your friends. Do a bit of a Google. If there are any red flags, just walk away. Next up, consider using a digital debit card or something like Google Pay or Apple Pay where you're not required to, I suppose, physically type in your full card number. It's just that little bit safer. And finally, for now, I am begging you, please do not click on any link that arrives in via text or email. It may look like it's from your bank or your service provider, but no outlet will ever seek your credit card details, your debit card details or any personal information in this manner. Be eyes wide open. This week was International Fraud Awareness Week and uh, News Talk teamed up with Bank of Ireland to help educate and inform everybody how to protect their online accounts. And the key message was stop, think, check. 
And I just think that kind of sums it up perfectly. We're all going to be doing a lot of shopping online, I imagine. Just take a moment to stop. Think if this is legitimate. Think maybe is it dodgy. And if you think it is, just check. So those three little steps, stop, think and check. It could save uh, some headaches down the line. Now, speaking of online shopping, new researchers found there are trends emerging in terms of what pushes us to spend our money in the places that we do. John Mitchell, who is the chief executive of All Human, is with me now to discuss. John, you're very welcome to Tech Talk. I was intrigued reading this research because... I think a lot of us know and accept that, you know, shopping habits change because they were forced to change during the pandemic. But what your research is showing is that I suppose trends that have been building pre-pandemic for a long time now are continuing. And there's a the clear emphasis on the rise of social commerce. Can you just start by telling me what exactly social commerce means? Yeah. Hi, Jess. Good to talk to you. Um you're you're you frame that perfectly because I think a lot of us know instinctively that these things are changing and that e-commerce is not a new concept and the pandemic has set new things in motion. But to answer your question specifically, yeah, social commerce, I mean we're 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 calling it many things, but we're we're calling it the I suppose the rise of social commerce. Um and we ran a survey just to kind of frame it in terms of its its um I suppose the the data we set that we set was we we interviewed a thousand Irish consumers specifically to the Irish market. Oftentimes there is a extrapolation of international Western markets onto the Irish populace. We wanted to not do that. We mm. wanted to kind of really interrogate local um, biases in, on the consumer sense. So, um, and what that really bubbled through Jess was that there's some new kids on the block and um, we, maybe you and I in the tech sector would have assumed maybe a couple of years back um, that there was a hegemony here and that Google owned search and eBay and Amazon owned shopping. That that That's starting to fragment a bit. And well, you know, subjectively people may realize that um, the, the data for the first time in, in a local context is, is pointing that direction. I mean, just to give you some metrics around that and um, what, we, what we've seen from our survey is that 57% of the thousand that we surveyed have bought via social platform. So, so this is the advent we think um, of, you know, the new shopping center is, is on social. So it's kind of, the, the analogy would be, you know, the shopping center moving out to the, out to the ring road, it is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's even more pronounced in the 16 to 24 um, demographic, uh, year old demographic who, who have bought 67% of that cohort have bought via social. So that, that, that's a quite a telling thing. Is that um, by, sorry to interrupt you, but is that by, you know, an influencer is demoing a toothbrush or a hair straightener, they have an affiliated link or, you know, a promo code or something like that. I click through from their Instagram and buy that way or is it from ads by the brands themselves? Like, is there a, a distinction between the two? It's definitely influencer is a significant vector in terms of uh, a tendency to buy mm-hmm. um, and you know what's more interesting uh, Jess also is not only are the um, our peers influencing buyer behavior but that those peers also want to become brand advocates and um, so that's really interesting is that uh, personalization and peer endorsement is becoming very significant driver of conversion uh, through social so um 
Yeah, I mean, things like pop-ups and promos and loyalties and a bit of personalization are helping, but what's really, really powerful is is peer endorsement or influence from 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 cohorts that you that you interact with or follow. Yeah, well, we um, did a piece on the show the week before last when I was at Web Summit, and we looked at the world of influencers and the impact they have, but also asked the question if there's a bit of influencer fatigue, because I know myself. I kind of now scroll past and tap through the story of somebody who's trying to sell me something, not out of badness, and it's not because I'm not interested, but I'm just aware that we're kind of being sold things in a new way and it's constant. So to use your analogy of the shopping centre, you know, I know if I walk through Dundrum Town Centre right now, I will see, you know, the storefronts, I might see some ads for promotions, but when I'm on my phone at home or when I'm on the Lewis leaving work, and I'm watching a content creator that I enjoy, they are, like, that's kind of how they make money, isn't it? Is it, by doing these types of deals. Did you, did, did anything in your research and your survey identify elements of that fatigue or ensuring that you trust the people who are influencing what you buy? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if that's what we saw. I think what we're seeing is that, um, and this might be a little bit more nuanced, Jess, in the mm-hmm. sense that it's not kind of, com- I'm going to call them commercial influencers who are, you know, kind of working in a very commercial sense. What we're seeing is that um, respondents, you know, up to 71% of respondees are saying that they're going to make additional purchases um, by virtue of peer endorsement. So it's kind of more nuanced. It's within the peer endorsement group that they are interacting with. So it's their friends, it's their family, it's, it's referrals that they're getting from their peers as opposed to external kind of commercial influencers. And that's a different thing. Um, so that's a much richer endorsement of of why to buy or to engage in a service. Is that not just um, the, the word of mouth that's kind of always been there? Or is it that this mm-hmm. word of mouth rather than happening over me and you yeah. having a coffee, it's happening because you're looking at my Instagram? It, it is. And that's precisely mm, the point okay. is that you're interacting fine. There's, you're, you're like, and again, this is not kind of statistically coming through, but what we're inferring from the stats is that, you know, you are consuming media through TikTok and Instagram increasingly. That is becoming your, your entry point through search. And as a consequence of that, you're moving into a purchase funnel. Um, and by and large, the consumers are consuming content that has been presented to them more more often than not from from their peer group mm. um, and that's it that's it you know again that's it that that's what's coming through in terms of our survey you know and some other things that really pop you know are you know just that desire not only to to be influenced but also to be the influencer and um, so it's kind of this really really so it's an anthropological thing where you know and certainly within the younger cohort they're willing to kind of endorse products to their friends you know and to what that extent that means it's it's a very it's a very influential uh, thing for brands to kind of cultivate that loyalty yeah um, and it seems to have a higher degree of integrity and it seems to be more organic than a forced influencer um promote hard promoting a set of products or services yeah i i agree and i'm interested to see how this all plays out because the word integrity there is something that i'm very aware of as i consume content because you could see and there are examples of this in the past where you know in my own little world a phone brand will pay an influencer to talk about a phone how great it is and they'll put a post up on twitter saying this phone that runs android is excellent and then you'll see underneath it sent by twitter for iphone so there's not not you know that on authenticity is not always there whereas if it's peer to peer 
I think you trust your friends and you trust your family and you trust the people that are in your circle in general. So that obviously then carries through. Um, One other aspect of the research that really jumped out at me was the biggest frustrations with online shopping. So the five biggest ones are pop-ups, sites with unclear customer charges, unclear uh, returns process, vague delivery and fulfillment times and poor mobile experience. The pop-up ones is bonkers. We did a piece with IA Labs, which is an extension of the uh, NCBI, so the National Council for the Blind. And the guy that I spoke to from there was saying that when you're shopping online and if you get a pop-up for signing up to a mailing list, if you get a pop-up for cookies consent, and then if you get another pop-up saying there's a chat agent available here if you need help, if you are someone with limited vision or blind, that makes for a shockingly bad uh, experience. But also for those of us you can see fine it's a pain in the face to have to click x five times before i even get to scroll through your products yeah i mean look you're you're not wrong and the kind of three big themes that came out of our survey was this concept of frictionless commerce um, Mm. and social disruption which we've just discussed and the rise of social commerce and the other theme being brand brand uh brand matters but just to your point about friction and pop-ups i mean you know, things are straightened and, and, and there's hyper competitive uh, factors in, in e-commerce as there are in, in physical retail. And what came out of our survey was that, you know, for for in the decision making this process, 50, you know, nearly 60 percent is still relating to price. But there's still 43 percent in aggregate, including pop ups, including things like ease of returns in terms of, you know, things like unclear shipping you know, uh, any sort of kind of vagueness around returns or next day delivery, those things in aggregate, and, and definitely pop-ups is, is a predominant thing in that, they constitute 43% of why a consumer would choose to purchase or not purchase. Mm. And I suppose what that points to is for anybody in the e-commerce uh, world, you know, any provider, any uh, business, in the you know, offering an e-commerce solution, while you may be prohibited or have impediments to adjusting price, for comp- competition or for margin reasons, there's about 43% of things that you can do that are corrective, such as pop-ups, um, that can really, really improve that, what we call friction. And, and consumers see, you know, consumers, as you know, Jess, you know, they're not loyal. They'll bounce around, search mm-hmm. makes it easy. They will jump to different providers. So if you can make that whole purchase funnel, that whole engagement, that whole customer experience, easy, clear, transparent, then you will be a winner in the future, and and that's really coming through in 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 the data that we've that we've collated from from the survey. You know, it really pops, and you know the other thing that really popped out is things like customer service. Like only fourteen percent of our of our respondees were happy with their with their online service. So there's a delta of eighty six percent there of corrective stuff that organizations, if they're if they're better at, you know, that sort of whether chat or AI or response go, response metrics around, you know, you know, where's my where where where's my return? Where's my e-commerce purchase? You can really, really kind of um, you know, create competitive edge uh, by addressing those things. And that doesn't necessitate uh, price adjustment. Um, and the other things that came through around friction were, you know, just providing multiple methods of of payment, you know, mm-hmm. make make that easy. Um and personalization, you know, you know, you and I both like, you know, when we when we go back and we're getting some prompts and we're getting some 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 tips as to what, you know, what, you know, what what you may like, and you know, what came through on the stats as well was 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 very very profound. You know, was that seventy one percent of all respondents said that they'd make additional 
additional purchases uh, beyond their core purchase based on the recommendations they got. Um, and that's to do with personalization. That's to do with, you know, um, and obviously cookies are a factor in this, but they do work in terms of repeat and upsell. And mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah, they all in that, like friction is a broad church. It's it's making the experience easy, clear, transparent, and don't put any impediments up there. And that will be that they're, they're very corrective and addressable things that anybody providing e-commerce solutions can do above and beyond adjusting price. Yeah, look, there's plenty of food for thought there, particularly as we come into the busiest Chris, uh, shopping period of the year. I do hope brands are taking note and trying to make it as clear and as easy for the consumer while also making it that bit more engaging. Uh, John Mitchell, Chief Executive of All Human, thanks so much for joining us here on Tech Talk. Thank you, Jess. A pleasure. All right, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to hear all about Fia's Fairies. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up in just a few minutes' time is Screen Time with the nation's sweetheart, John Fardy. John, what's on the show? I love it. That's the first time I've been here a long time, nation's sweetheart. <laughs> we are looking at the great career of the great director, Walter Hill, who gave us things like 48 Hours and The Warriors. All the week's new releases, including a very intriguing movie with Paul Meskel called After Sun. He's not wearing any GAA shorts, be warned. And fascinatingly... Bertie Ahern chats to me about his favourite movie. Yes, that Bertie Ahern, the former Taoiseach. Oh, wow. Yeah. I oh, can't tell you what. You're going to have to I was going to gonna ask in. you, do you know what's going to be on the list? Because I do, but, you know, it's just one, though. We have to limit it to one. Oh, so. just one? Yeah. Is it a historical? Like, is it a... You're going to have to tune in. Ah, John. I can't tell you now. No one's going to... Just... I have to keep people listening. Keep That's them... why I'm here. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll stay listening for screen time. Thank you. Before I let you go, uh, big news this week in the world of TV. Uh, one of our <laughs> colleagues in particular was very yes. excited about it. But Neighbours is back, baby. Yeah, I, I, I'm baffled. I mean, I stopped watching Neighbours in when I was about 14. That's when it had run its course for me. Uh-huh. So I, I'm completely out of whack with that. I mean, I guess there's a demand for it. People like Amazon don't go ahead and without figuring out there's a huge demand for this. So it probably makes financial sense. Artistically, entertainment-wise, I'd be very circumspect. He says that now. He'll be talking to Susan Kennedy in a few weeks' time, right? Is she available? <laughs> Hang on. I take all that back. Right. John is on the way after six here on News Talk. Today we got to make some delicious lemonade at Pip's Cafe. The lemons were too sharp on their own. And when Blohim brought out the honey, it made it a little too millish. Then Pip mixed the two tastes together and it was just right. Blasta! Slan! How adorable. That is a snippet of Fia's Fairies, a new bilingual show on RTE Junior, produced by Little Moon Animation. I'm delighted to be joined now by Vanessa Robinson, who's the creative producer with the Animation House. Uh, Vanessa, you're very welcome to the show. Before we talk through Fia's Fairies, tell me a bit about Little Moon. Uh, Yeah, so Little Moon Animation was founded about four years ago now. Um, and it's uh, it was set up by myself and uh, my business partner and husband, Owen Garvey. Uh, we both have obviously been working in the animation industry for, you know, Owen's been working for about 12 years. Um, I myself have been about a decade at it now. And um, it started actually with the idea of Fia's Fairies. And we just wanted to kind of see what we could do with it. It's um yeah it's been a it's been a real process to get to where we are but it's it's uh, really exciting to be able to look back now and look at all that we've achieved in the last four years. What are the considerations that goes into establishing your own animation company 
from you know a software point of view from a location point of view has technology kind of taken the stress and some of the overheads away that used to be there before absolutely i mean i think uh to be honest while covid was an incredibly difficult thing for a lot of people it actually for us was an interesting opportunity from a business perspective because previously there would have been this expectation that you would have had to have maybe like a large studio space or um you know enough desks to sit everyone um like monday to friday 9 to 6 whatever that might be you had to travel to markets to to pitch and all of that takes a lot of time um money um, and uh, energy. Whereas we, when we first started pitching the show Fias Fairies, it was 2019, so it was pre-COVID. And then obviously um, in February 2020, everything kind of changed. And through Zoom um, and all of the remote working, it actually kind of opened the landscape up to us in a way that it might not have been as accessible as it was before, because we were able to take meetings with people who were you know, all over Europe or in the UK, um, in the USA, and just, yeah, have a bunch of meetings with people that it would have been harder to reach. And then separate to that, we've obviously um, also been able to facilitate remote working, which for a small startup business has been incredibly helpful in terms of the overheads to get up and running. So it's been a really interesting, it's been a difficult time, obviously, to be a business owner. But from a technological standpoint, um, and as a business that, and again, animation has been very fortunate because with live action, there were all these other considerations of people having to come together on set. You know, we were very fortunate that we were able to provide staff with um, with computers and licenses and just kind of leave them to to get on with the jobs um, at home, you know. Yeah, it's definitely one of the uh, sides of production, film and TV production that you know, was flexible enough given the way that it works. I want to just focus in a little bit on what was the pitch for Fia's Fairies and did it develop over time from your initial idea through to what we have today? Um, so when we first pitched the idea, uh, it, it always centred around the Irish language and wanting to introduce the Irish language to children. Um, and that kind of was answering a need as a parent of a child who was getting ready to attend a Gael school. Um, I was just looking for content that was more accessible to um, to children who weren't necessarily growing up with the language being spoken um, in the home. So it always centered around the language. But when we first pitched the idea, we we thought that we would make it more based on like Irish mythology, try and bring to to life um, some of like the well known stories, uh, you know, of Cúhollán or the Children of Lear. Um, and we thought that it would, would have like a real kind of overall Irish cultural experience. Um, once we kind of got into developing the show, we realized actually that the, the heart of it was the language and, and all of the rest of it just centers around, um, you know, uh, play based learning and trying to create like playful um, adventure kind of imaginative friendship stories. Um, and uh, we wanted to um to yeah just really lean into the way that children interact with each other um so what you see today is more centered around friendship and adventures on fairy island um and the language is still at the at the center of all of that through our two fairies who can speak the irish language um so yeah it's it's definitely it's been through um various stages of iteration but the the one thing that's never changed is uh the the approach to the language yeah and that is a lovely part of this um my niece goes to a girl school and 
It's funny how quickly young kids pick up the language. You know, before she even started in school, she knew the Dahana, she'd know her numbers, little bits and pieces. And it's because of exposure to the language. And I think the more entertaining, high quality content that we have for kids that's bilingual as well as just in Irish is hugely beneficial. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you guys. I'm interested to know how many people were involved in the production of Fia's Fairies? You know, how many animators do you have and what what is the behind the scenes process, I suppose? Um, so for us, we are, um, we're actually, we're a small studio. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite bespoke and quite hands-on. Um, part of that is in the creative approach and the other side of that is the, the budget. <laughs> so obviously, you know, the more money you have, the, the more kind of help and, um, and everything you can bring. But for us, um, at the height of it, our, our team was, um, in and around 2025. Um, but that was across kind of, you know, all departments, um uh but there's been a lot of people who have who have helped uh get the show to where it is today from the writers to the storyboard artists um and uh the voice actors the the you know sound designers composers um just you know all the animators lighters there's there's so much and that's actually one of the things we just had um a special screening on Sunday in the Stella Cinema uh, which was amazing just to see the whole thing come to life on the big screen. But the amount of people who came up to me afterwards and just were blown away by the number of names on the screen. And they, you know, kind of were saying how they just always assumed it was maybe just myself and Owen animating somewhere <laughs> in the house. And it's like, no, it's actually like it takes a lot of people to to get the show looking the way it does. I was really interested to know a little bit more about the technology that you're using and how much that helps with all of those names on the screen that are helping with the show like has technology transformed so much that it's not as labor intensive as it once was yeah I mean so one of the things that we're really excited about at Little Moon is that we have started using um, games engine technology um, so Unreal Engine and I think we've been incredibly fortunate that we were moving into production at the same time that Unreal Engine 5 was released. Um, because, you know, there's every time it goes through iterations, they they kind of add new um, abilities to the software. Um, and previous versions, we, you know, we weren't quite so sure of, but it just, the timing just worked perfectly. So um, for us with the technology, obviously there's all of these other elements that go into animation through the asset creation. So you've got your modeling and your surfacing. And, and lighting, but one of the most time intensive and expensive aspects of animation can be rendering. This is obviously for CG animation. Um, so traditional render machines, um, you know, it takes a really long time to, to actually get the final product. Um, and each of our episodes on Fia's Fairies are five minutes long. So previously using a traditional render engine, um, it might've taken us two weeks to render out an entire episode. But using this real-time technology, um, we are actually able to produce broadcast quality content um, for a five-minute episode in an hour. So it's transformative for our schedules. It's transformative for our budgets. Um, so yeah, as a producer, that's I'm, I'm really excited about that. It doesn't obviously speed up the other elements of production. It, that's still quite um, you know, labor-intensive, but it's definitely something that's um that's that's really exciting and i think going to be a bit of a game changer to be honest for for the animation industry as a whole yeah that is incredible and you know just when you put it into the context of 
like an hour it does sound transformative and it's those little margins I suppose particularly when you are a startup that can make a difference yeah no absolutely it it does it makes it makes all the difference Um, and it it also um, it really feels like we're kind of at the precipice of a bit of a change within the industry now like the the games engine and the real-time technology is is really catching up to these traditional renders and it's um it just means that you know yeah for startups it it just kind of makes the barrier to entry that bit more um attractive um also for us part of what we're doing is um trying to find ways to support our um our original IP so we've also been awarded some innovation funding from Screen Ireland and Animation Ireland to develop games so at the moment, we are looking at a way to develop a game around Fias Fairies so that children can continue to learn the language off screen. Um, and, you know, using games technology obviously makes that a much easier um, process as well, because we already have the tools and technology set up to allow us to start exploring new ways of continuing to expand our IP and reach new audiences. And for us, you know, obviously the love of animation is there. But there's a real purpose to the show. You know, we really wanted to introduce the Irish language to children of Ireland. We really wanted to kind of promote the use and just the, the uh, like create a positive disposition towards it. Um, and by being able to also follow that up by developing games and apps so that children can continue to interact with our characters, explore the world, play with the language. Um, you know, it's just, it's it's really exciting actually to to think what might be might be ahead for for Little Moon and for Fia's Fairies. Uh, it is called uh, Fia's Fairies. It's on RTE Junior. Uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for your time and joining us here on News Talk. Thank you so much for having us, Jess. Thank you. All right, we are almost out of time. I just want to say a quick hello to Kira and Aoife Humphreys in Cork. I hope to see you both at some stage the next time I'm in the Rebel County. Uh, if you missed any of this week's show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.